0: Well, welcome. I'm excited about this morning, beginning our new sermon series entitled Believe. You've heard um, the saying that kids say the darndest things. I want to share with you this morning a few prayers that kids have prayed. First one is this. Dear God, I bet it's very hard for you to love all the whole world. There are only four people in our family, and I can never do it. That was from Nancy. Marcia prayed, dear God, my brother told me how babies are born, but it just doesn't sound right. What do you say? Joyce said, dear God, thank you for the baby brother, but what I asked for was a puppy. You can look it up. Dennis prayed, dear God, my grandpa says you were around when he was a little boy. How far back do you go? Jennifer prayed, Dear God, in Bible times, did they really talk that fancy? Larry prayed, Dear God, maybe Cain and Abel wouldn't have killed each other if they each had their own room. That worked for my brother and I. And then Janet prayed, Dear Mr. God, I wish you wouldn't make it so easy for people to come apart. I had to have three stitches and a shot. Dear God, did you mean for giraffes to look like that or was it a mistake? Nathan said, Dear God, do you draw the lines around the countries? If you don't, who does? And then the final one is this, dear God, it is great the way you always get the stars in the right place. Why can't you do that with the moon? I like those. As I as I was preparing for this uh, morning, I wanted us to to start out by looking at uh, just just kind of laughing a little bit together. This morning, we we're beginning our new sermon series entitled "Believe." I'm so excited about this series because we're going to be looking at the core essentials of our Christian faith. We will spend ten weeks focusing in on the core doctrines of the. Christian faith. We'll spend 10 weeks focusing on the key practices of the Christian faith. And then we're going to spend 10 weeks focusing on the, the, the central virtues of the Christian faith as well. This sermon series is designed to help us think, act, and become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. So this morning we're going to begin this series looking at God. And our key question this morning is this, who is God. Who is God? Who is God? There is no more vital question to be answered during a person's lifetime. The way a person answers this question will determine where they're going to spend eternity. If they answer this question wrong, then they'll spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. But if they come to faith in the God of the universe, then they will spend eternity with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in heaven. So to get started this morning, you you may be asking yourself, well, where in the world are we going to begin if we're talking about God? Well, let's begin in the very beginning. So point number one this morning is this. The God of the Bible is true the god of the bible is true in genesis chapter 1 verse 1 it says in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Let me begin by saying that this series is all about you and I believing the fundamental truths found within God's word. As we look at these biblical truths, I want you to know right now that these will be non-negotiable truths, okay? We're going to take Genesis chapter 1-1 and we're going to consider that to be the gospel. It is true. True. There is no question about it. We're going to look at Revelation 22 21, and that is the absolute truth as well. Everything from Genesis 1 1 all the way to Revelation 22 21 is the truth. So I will not be defending God's word during this morning sermon nor during this sermon series because the Bible does not defend the existence of God. You know that, right? The Bible does not defend the existence of God. God. God's word is true, and knowing that God's word is true, we know that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There is no question about it. When the writer penned the book of Genesis, he did not say, if there is a God, then he must have created the earth. He did not pen the opening verses of the Bible that way. He does not leave creation to our imagination. He makes it definitively clear that God created the heavens and the earth. The apostle John, whenever he wrote the book of John, the gospel of John, he began in John chapter 1, verse 1, he said, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, not anything made That was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This passage was not written by a man that questioned whether or not God existed. It was not written by a man that questioned whether or not God spoke all things into existence. The book of John was written by a man that literally walked. And talked with the creator of the universe. He witnessed the power of Jesus Christ. The apostle are the, the 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 apostle John, he would have seen Jesus physically touch Jesus. He would have witnessed him heal the blind, cause the deaf to hear, make the lame walk. He would have seen the Lord feed the 5,000. He would have witnessed Jesus walk on water. He would have been present at the crucifixion. He would have most likely even been there whenever they took Jesus down off of that cross and wrapped him and prepared him for burial. And John probably would have been there as they laid Jesus in that tomb. And John would have witnessed Jesus after his resurrection. And would have been present the day that Jesus ascended to take his rightful place next to the Father in heaven. We can take the gospel as the truth because it is, faith family. You know that, right? I hope that you know that. If you do not know that, my prayer is that throughout this morning's sermon and throughout this sermon series, you will know without a shadow of a doubt that God does exist. John would also pin the book of Revelation. Revelation. And he said and wrote in Revelation 1-4, he said, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. John is making it clear right here that God was present in the beginning and God will be present in the very end. God's existence is not in question this morning. God is here and God is alive. There is nothing I believe more than this truth. My 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 prayer for you this morning once again is that you too will know without a shadow of a doubt that God's word is true. If you know that God exists and you know that his word is the truth, then it is essential that you and I live our lives up on under the banner of God's word, that we obey God's word, and that we live out God's word, and that we do God's word. The Bible says in James 4, 17, that if we know the good that we ought to do and we do not do it, what are we doing? We're sinning. So God's word makes it abundantly clear that if we don't obey all of God's word, then we are sinning. Let's commit to do everything we can to live our lives as fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Now here's the deal. I'm a realist. I know that not every person believes in God. I know that. I know that many of you or some of you in this room this morning may even Be wrestling this morning with whether or not God does exist, or that you may be wrestling with um, how Jesus fits into um, the picture or the Holy Spirit. And this morning, we're going to look at that. I know that not everyone believes in the God of the Bible. I know that some of you in this room this morning, once again, may be even struggling that way. But here's the deal you're not alone. You realize that 89% of all Americans believe that there is a God or a spirit that created everything. The alarming thing is this, that 66% of all evangelical Christians, only 66% believe without a shadow of a doubt that the God of the Bible is the one true God. That's pretty alarming when you think about it. Among non-Christians, the pattern is mixed a little bit. Most Muslims, 84% of Muslims, believe without a shadow of a doubt that there is a God and that he does exist. Things drop off a little bit from there amongst other religions. Hindus... OK? Uh, a, a, a religion that literally believes in millions of gods. Only 41 percent of them believe that there is um, really a God. Within the Jewish religion, only 37 percent of them believe without a shadow of a doubt, that God exists. Buddhist only 29% are certain that God or a universal spirit exists. What blows my mind is that just 66% of all evangelical Christians believe with absolute certainty that God exists. That means that 34%, potentially in this room this morning, 34% of you in this room question whether or not you can really believe that there is a true God that created all things, that sent his son Jesus to this earth to die for your sins. And after he ascended to be with the Father, he sent his Holy Spirit to dwell within us. Only 66% of us in this room believe that. 34% question some aspect of God. The God of the Bible is true. I want you to know this morning that you can know that there is one true God. Jesus prayed before he was arrested, tried, and crucified. He prayed this as he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He prayed in John seventeen three, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Throughout human history, God has been making himself known to his creation. If we go all the way back to the book of Genesis, we see that. We see how God created Adam and God created Eve. And in the early days of their relationship with one another and with God, they had a very special relationship. Scripture tells us that God walked with them in the garden. So they had a very um, a very intimate relationship with God. But that all changed when Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit from the forbidden tree. That all changed in a moment. And as a result of them eat, eating of the forbidden fruit, they are banished from the garden because of their sin. And their punishment was that they were going to have to work the land there would be pain and childbearing, but there, another punishment, and the greatest punishment of all, is that the relationship between man and God was changed forever at the moment in which they were banished from the garden. That one event changed man's relationship with God forever. For hundreds of years, there would only be a few people that, that Scripture would designate as righteous. There would be Seth. There would be Enoch, and we know Enoch. Enoch walked with God and he was no more, scripture says. There would be Noah. Noah was found to be righteous. And, and what did Noah do? Noah, God instructed Noah to build a giant boat, and, and that boat is what God used to redeem Noah and his family and rescue them from the impending storm. There would be another Two thousand years that would pass again before Scripture would record another righteous. Person. Person And that righteous man that scripture would record was a man by the name of Abraham. Abraham was a righteous man. He lived, though, during a time in which polytheism, the worship of many gods, ran rampant within within the world and across the world. Abraham's father, Terah, according to Joshua 24.2, Terah served other gods, yet out of his household out of the household of this polytheistic pagan man, the one true God called Abraham. And God would use Abraham to father a nation. And that nation in which he fathered would be the Israelites. They would, um, The Israelites would often revert back to their old ways. They would often revert back to polytheism. They would frequently take their eyes off of God. But despite this, God continued to pursue his creation, continued to pursue his people. He would raise up from the people Moses, who would deliver the Israelites from Pharaoh's captivity. God used Moses in a mighty way. He would reveal himself to Moses as the great I am. You remember how God revealed himself to Moses from the burning bush? He reveals himself as the great I am. Notice who God did not reveal himself as. He did not say that he was the great I was. He did not say I am the great I will be. He said that he is the great I am. Meaning that he is the one true, unchanging God. He is the same yesterday, the same today, and the same forever. Our God is an unchanging God. He is the author and perfecter of all things. He is alive and he is active and he lives in the midst of his creation today. Just as he made himself known to Moses, he is making himself known to his creation today. God would use Moses in a mighty way. He would give him extraordinary powers. He would reveal his glory to Moses. God would give Moses the law, the Ten Commandments, and then Moses would give that law to the people of Israel. God would also instruct Moses to build the tabernacle, and it would be there that the people would gather to worship and sacrifice, and the glory of the Lord would dwell in the tabernacle. Moses would deliver the Israelites before the gates of the promised land after Moses God's word documents many righteous men and many righteous women. Also documents, though, many unrighteous men and many unrighteous women. There would be good and bad judges, prophets, and kings. However, God loved his people, loved the Israelites, loved the world, and he continued to pursue his creation, didn't he? He did this by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to come and dwell and live amongst us. Jesus went to the cross and he died for our sins so that you and I could experience eternal life by placing our faith in him. Bible says in John 3.16 that for God so loved the world. That he gave his one and only son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The one true God loved you and me so much that he sent his son to die for us. The Bible says in John 14, 6, Jesus made this abundantly clear. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. The only way that you and I can experience eternal life is by placing our faith and our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. In Colossians 1, verses 15 through 17, Paul wrote this. He said... And you can, you, can, you, can, you can know it, you can trust it, and you can believe it. The, bio, the God of the Bible is the one true God. If you don't know him this morning, in just a few minutes, we're going to have a time of invitation. And this will be a time in which you can place your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ is a time when you can acknowledge that there is one true God. But before you can do that, there's a few things that you must do. The first thing that you must do before you become a believer in Jesus Christ, before you place your faith in Jesus Christ, the first thing that you must do is acknowledge that you are a sinner. The Bible says in Romans 3:23 that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It doesn't say that some have sinned. It doesn't say that The majority of the world have sinned. It doesn't say that just um, those that live in the Middle East or in Asia or in some other part of this world have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It says that all have sinned. That means every single one of us in this room have sinned at one point in our life or another. And because of that, we are separated from God. The Bible says that the penalty for our sin is death. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. Because of your sins and my sins, what we deserve is eternal separation from God in hell. I mean, it is is clear that our sin separates us from God. The wages of sin is death. However if you acknowledge that you are a sinner, if you repent of your sins, and you turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and you acknowledge him as your Lord and you acknowledge him as your savior and you ask him to come into your life to forgive you of your sins you know what happens scripture says that you will be saved Romans 10 9 says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you shall be saved You shall be saved if you acknowledge Jesus as the Lord of your life. You acknowledge him as the Savior of your life and you repent of your sins. Scripture is clear that you will be saved. And Romans 10.13 says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're here this morning and you have not placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then this morning you're going to have an opportunity to do that. Point number one is this, the God of the Bible is true. The God of the Bible is true. You can know that he is true, and you can experience his truth by repenting of your sins and trusting Christ as your Lord. The second thing that I want us to look at this morning is that the God of the Bible is triune, okay? Many people have a hard time with the doctrine of the Trinity of the Trinity. And I'll be the first one to tell you, I too have a hard time communicating clearly the Trinity when I preach. The term Trinity is never used in the Bible. It was first used by one of the early church fathers, a man by the name of Tertullian. The doctrine of the Trinity is this. It teaches three things. There is one God, God is three individual persons, yet each is fully divine. God is a unity, three in one. The Westminster Confession of Faith of 1647 documented and stated this. In the unity of the Godhead, there be three persons of one Substance, one power, and one eternity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You may be asking yourself this morning how there can be one God and yet three individual persons that are fully God. I'll be the first one to tell you that my finite mind cannot grasp the complexity of the Trinity, but I do. Know that the Trinity exists because God's word teaches over and over the Trinity. Over and over. You know, one of my favorite hymns is is Holy, Holy, Holy. Um, I know this is probably a favorite of, of many of yours. Since I was a little kid, I've been singing about the Trinity. The first stanza of that great song is this. Holy, Holy, Holy. Lord God Almighty, early in the morning our song shall rise to thee. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. God is three persons, yet he is one. Within the first pages of the Old Testament, God's word documents the Trinity. I'm going to give you several scriptures right now, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, that document the Trinity. Because I want us to see this morning that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have always existed. They have always been one unit. We read in Genesis one 26a, it says, then God said, let us You hear that? Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let us, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, make man in our image. Genesis 3.22 says, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, like the Father, like the Son, and like the Holy Spirit, in knowing good and evil. In Genesis 11.7 we read, Come, let us let us, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, go down and there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. And one of my favorite passages of Scripture in all of the Bible is Isaiah chapter 6. Great passage on revival. Great passage on God's holiness. But God asked Isaiah in Isaiah 6, 8. He said this. Um, speaking... Um, In the temple he said, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. Who will go for us? God is asking Isaiah, who will go for us? The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit to the nations to preach the good news. In the New Testament, in John chapter 1, we, we see the Trinity. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. In Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 through 17, when Jesus is baptized, we read this. We see, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove Coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So you see here in this passage of scripture, we have the Father, we have the Son, and we have the Holy Spirit, all three acting in unison together to accomplish the purpose of God. In Ephesians 4 4 through 6, Paul said, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and one Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. You know, once again, I'll admit that the Trinity is hard for us to wrap our mind around. How can there be three persons yet one? You know, here's what I can tell you, that God's word does not tell us exactly um, all of the makeup of the Trinity. If God wanted us to know, um, then he would have made it abundantly clear to us so that we could communicate it. Clearer. Here's what one author um, said. He, he said this, Paradoxical doctrines in the Bible, such as the Trinity, are a form of evidence for its divine origin. Man would never make up doctrines such as this. They would make up doctrines that one could fully understand and comprehend. Isn't that true? You know, if you and I were penning The Bible. We would never put something in the Bible that we did not fully understand that we could communicate, could not communicate clearly. In God's Word, there are some things that our finite minds just cannot understand. We can know that there is a God, that there is a Son, that there is a Holy Spirit. We can know without a shadow of a doubt that the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one, yet three distinct individuals. We see them working as individuals and we see them working as a unit. We know this and we can know that the God of the Bible is true. We can know that the God of the Bible is triune and we can also also know that the God of the Bible is trustworthy. And this is where we're going to conclude our time together this morning. If you remember back a few weeks ago, we looked at Isaiah 9-7. In fact, Isaiah 9-7 is a passage of scripture that I have frequently um, visited over the course of this past year. Um, This is one of my favorite passages of scripture. It says this, Isaiah 9-7, Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to... Establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of Hosts will do this. I love that. The zeal of the Lord of Hosts will do this. As as the prophecy of the Messiah was being written and penned right here, God's word. God said that he would do this, and guess what God did? God did it. Hundreds of years before Jesus would come and dwell among us, God made it abundantly clear that Jesus would come, and he did come. God is a God of his word. You know that, right? You know that, right? that God is a God of his word. If God is the God of his word and is a trustworthy word, then it is paramount that you and I obey God's word. It is imperative that we live our lives up under the banner of of God's word. As I shared earlier, Israel had a history of living defiantly against God. They would frequently take their eyes off of God and they would worship foreign gods. In response to this, Joshua made this declaration, and many of you have this declaration somewhere in your home. But I want to read the entirety of of this passage. Joshua 24, 14 through 15 says this, Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in the sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, We will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What declaration have you made for you and your household? Is it to serve the one true God or is it to serve the gods of this world. The gods that you and I have crafted with our own human hands. There's the God of money. There's the God of sports. There's the God of fame. The God of power. The God of business. The God of apathy. The God of religion. There is the God of busyness. You get my point, right? There are so many different gods that you and I serve on a daily basis or we are are faced with the opportunity to serve. There's also the god of me and the god of me may be the most dangerous god that you and i can serve this is the god in which we ourselves become little gods we create this god complex where we think that we're above the law we think that we're above creation we think we're above all things the lord cautioned us against the worship of ourselves in fact, Jesus instructed his followers in the book of luke luke nine twenty three Jesus said this: "If anyone would come after me, he must first deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Deny himself daily and take up his cross and follow me is what Jesus said. Jesus did not say, Take up your cross weekly." He did not say take up your cross monthly or yearly or when the cross is convenient for you. He said take up your cross daily and follow me. When you and I follow Jesus, he will lead us directly to the Father. Once again, John fourteen six. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. There's only one way that you and I can enter into an eternal relationship with the God of the Bible, the God of the universe, the author and perfecter of all things. There's only one way we can do that, and that is by placing our faith, hope, and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ question for you this morning is do you believe do you believe in the god of the bible my prayer is that before we walk out the doors of this church this morning that every single one of us can say definitively that i believe do you believe if you do not believe in just a moment we're going to have a time of invitation This is going to be a time in which you can respond to Jesus Christ. I believe with all my heart that if you are in this room and you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you do not know for certain where you're going to spend eternity when you die. I believe with all of my heart that God has been speaking to you this morning. And God has been 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 tugging at your heart and drawing you unto himself. In just a moment, I'm going to be standing here at the front. And I would love to share with you more how you can experience eternal life. How you can place your hope and faith and trust in the God of the universe. If you're here this morning and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, then this morning let me invite you to repent of your sins to cry out to God to forgive you of your sins. Acknowledge Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life. And the Bible says that if we do that, then we shall experience eternal life. You may be here this morning and you've been visiting this church for a while and today the Lord is calling you to make Friendship Baptist Church your church home and we'd love for you to do that. You may be here this morning, you just need to come and kneel at the altar. If that's the case, then you come and you kneel. Let's stand together, and I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. If there's a decision you need to make, then I invite you to come. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you now, Lord Jesus, just acknowledging, Father, that you are the one true God. And we thank you for giving us life. Forgiven us the breath, the air that we breathe. And Father, I just pray right now, Lord Jesus, that if there is someone here this morning that does not have a relationship with you, Father, my prayer this morning is that they will repent of their sins and cry out to you to forgive them of their sins. And Father, your word is so clear that if we repent of our sins, that you will forgive us of those sins. If we cry out to you to be the Lord of our lives and the Savior of our lives, Father, your word is so abundantly clear that we shall be saved. And Father, I pray right now, Lord Jesus, if there's someone that does not know you, right now, this morning, they'll come to know you. And, Lord, if there's someone here that needs to join this church this morning, Father, I pray that you will just bring them here. Help them, Father, just to become a part of this faith family. Just lead them to be a part of this faith family. Lord, we love you and we thank you. us. in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If the Lord is speaking to you this morning and the Lord is calling you today to come to know him, then I invite you to come this morning. If you're here this morning, you've been visiting this church a while, and today is a day that the Lord um, is calling you to join this faith family, we invite you to come. You come now during this time of invitation. You come.